0: Welcome to Rewirement from Legal and General. I'm Angelica Bell and this is the podcast where we share colourful stories of retirement from people who are doing it their own way and loving later life. This is our last episode of the series and I wanted to cover a really big topic for many of us. As we age, our bodies and minds change and that can mean we have different needs Today we're going to hear how you can plan for that financially and mentally and make sure the support systems you need are in place for the just-in-case. We'll also hear some advice from one newlywed couple on how they're looking forward to enjoying their happily ever after whilst living a full life despite the limitations a disability might bring. And as always, the experts will be on hand to tackle some of the questions and issues you might have around living independently and managing care in later life. I'll be chatting to Legal and General Sam Roberts and Andrew Parfury from the care matching service Care Sourcer. My first story is from the incredible Faye. Faye is one of the sandwich generation who have their own retirement on the horizon whilst caring for a parent. Although Faye's daughter is grown up and independent, Faye's also thinking ahead of how she can leave her a secure legacy and make sure her own care needs are covered. Let's talk about your business. It's called Black Dementia Company and it was set up from personal experience with having to look after your mother. So tell people who are listening about that.
1: My mother was diagnosed with dementia in 2019. But prior to that, you know, we started, I and, you know, my siblings started noticing some changes and we did feel that there wasn't some, you know, there was something wrong there. Even with all that, she's always enjoyed uh, puzzles, Scrabble, you know sudoku everything you know everything that you can think of all those mind sort of um, tasks mind games and um I noticed well over the um the first lockdown i I spent a considerably length of time with her anyway, and I noticed that things weren't as. I thought they were even say in February twenty twenty, so sometimes she'll you know have we we'll say oh, I'll say oh, let's play Scrabble, and she might then say oh what do we do with this what do I do with this and I thought hmm okay yeah, or the crosswords that I used to buy you know the crossword books and word search and all that seem to be uh to become more and more of a challenge for her, so I thought okay let me I know that are you know, there are quite a few organizations that sell products for people with dementia. So let me, you know, just do a search and see. None of the shops that I found had anything that was specific to my mother's background, which she's from Trinidad. And, you know, I say that, you know, my mother's from Trinidad, but she went to university in Canada. She's lived in Nigeria, you know, in America. So, you know, she's had quite um a mixed Exposure to different things. So I thought, right, okay, there's no, there's nothing out there. Let me try and make my own. So I started writing, you know, my little quizzes and trying to do crosswords and things like that. I thought clearly, I'm sure that, you know, that there is at least one other person out there who's facing the same challenge as I am. Um, And so I'll just do something, put it on eBay and, or, or anything else. You know, I wasn't really thinking about a business. But then once I started, I said to myself, well, why don't I just do it properly <laughs> and set up, incorporate the company, set up a business, do you know, put some things out there and see what the response would be. And, you know, I guess the rest is history.
0: <laughs> well, exactly. And we know from research that that subconscious is so powerful for people with dementia and you have to tap into things that relate to them that they remember from when they were growing up or music you know we know how music is s- so powerful and emotive so i'm really glad that you know this business is thriving so we, what you're thinking and what you're hoping is that your business will fund your own retirement
1: so I, I am in a in a final salary pension well i was in a final final salary pension scheme and then i am i have i think i've got like two other pensions and you know i would like the the business the black dementia company to to exist I mean as I've said before to you know I've said before my hope is that it exists long after me yeah it it lives beyond my lifespan but the hope is that it exists on its own so that (laughs) I can then step back obviously continue to create if you know the need is there but also just to enjoy life and savour The years, really, that's my what I would say my future is. And as soon as I'm able to, I will detach from employment, focus on work, let it fund itself and um, find time for myself. (laughs) So I just want to go back to
0: you being a solo carer. Do you have any concerns with that and with your business as well and work and and life and helping your mum? Has that made you view retirement differently?
1: Gosh, yeah, definitely to answer your last question, yes, 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 yes. I mean, I've always, just by my nature and I suppose everything else, I'm the last, we're four girls, I'm the fourth, but I've always been the one, you know, doing my mother's shopping, doing, you know, things like that anyway. So I think I sort of naturally flowed into this carer role. But certainly now um, I appreciate more than ever the the need to prepare for your retirement for your older years because there will come a time I you know I will have to ask for external help and I'll have to think about how that what that looks like and then also again you know as we've more or less, you, you know, you brought it up, Angelica, you know, thankfully, but as, you know, we've more or less alluded to in this conversation, once my, my role as a carer perhaps slows down or stops, then I've got all these, you know, extra years. I mean, I do, hopefully, but you know what I mean. I, I you know, I do know that I have to look after myself, even now as a carer, because, uh, but the time is coming when, you know, I, my, myself, you know, me as a person, um, you know, the demand to be physically at different places will grow. So, and I have a daughter who, I, you know, I also, I mean, she's con- she, she is concerned that I spend time looking after myself as well.
0: What is wonderful about you, Faye, is that to give of yourself, give everything of yourself, to care for a family member, you you have to be a selfless, kind-hearted person. and And that's what makes you wonderful and your story wonderful. And that's why I wanted to ensure that, you know, you are being looked after yourself. But what advice would you give to somebody else who knows they have to maybe or who's considering actually looking after somebody they love or they know um, and becoming a full time carer? Are there certain things you'd say, actually, think about that. Think about
1: this. Carve out time, which I, to be fair, I try to do. You know, I do yoga. You know, I like to meditate and all that. And I carve that out. It's either going to be very early in the morning or late at night. Just know that what you're doing, whatever you whatever you do is a bonus. And it's okay, You know, it's okay. I cry sometimes. I hate dementia. You know, obviously, I don't hate my loved one, but I hate dementia. That doesn't make you a bad person. But if you can just not translate that to the care that you're given, then, you know, you're winning.
0: Really good advice. And also as well, making sure, like you've said, that your finances are in order so that whatever eventuality might happen, you're prepared
1: start now, you know, carve something out, you know, take a little bit out to put something away for for later. You know, one thing that the pandemic or lockdown has taught me, and from a few other people I've spoken to, it seems is basically the same in different ways, is that you, a lot of things we, we thought we needed, physical things, you know, clothes and eyebrow plucking and all, <laughs> a lot of this we needed before the lockdown. We found that we can make do.
0: Faye's got some great ideas for retirement, from living somewhere warm or near relatives to travelling and pursuing her artistic projects. But first, she's out to challenge misconceptions about dementia and make a difference to people's happiness with her business. You know what, talking to Faye made me quite emotional. It's a situation that any of us could find ourselves in caring for a parent or child or doing both, whilst also trying to work out our own futures. The way Faye has set out to make such an enormous difference in other people's lives too is incredible. I hope if you're in a similar situation, you can find strength in knowing there are others like you who don't have all the answers and are just doing their best. There are loads of resources to support you. You can find out more on the website and check out more about The Black Dementia Company in the show notes or at legalingeneral.com forward slash retirement. Next, we meet newlyweds Heather and Alan for their take on staying independent in later life with different needs. They may be in their 70s, but that hasn't stopped them planning a life together. Alan's partially sighted and they met three years ago on a holiday organized through a tour company called Travel Eyes, which offers independent trips for people who are blind by partnering them with people who are sighted. Heaven, Alan, I need to say congratulations to you. I haven't said that yet, have I? That's exciting you got married. <laughs> it is, How was yes. it? It was lovely. It was lovely. Yes, it was. Now, you're both in your 70s, which is an amazing time to find love. Tell me about how you met. Well,
2: I used to do... It's purely by chance, really, because I was doing Nordic walking. I had arranged to go on a Nordic walking holiday to Swaziland, which was subsequently cancelled. And about three months later, I got a phone call from the girl who organises the Swaziland bit to say, would I think of going to Swaziland as a sighted guide with a group of visually impaired people? And before I went on it, again, purely by chance, I lived down the end of nowhere. There was a thing on our Facebook page that guide dogs were looking for a my guide to guide a blind gentleman around where I live. So I got in touch with them And I started walking with Brian before I went on the holiday. So I had some experience of what it was like. So that's how I ended up on the holiday, walking the Camino de Santiago, where we met.
3: My first wife died in September 2013. And we actually had a villa out in Mallorca, which I used to go out to for several weeks at a time after she died. But as my my eyesight started going, just as she was dying, unfortunately, after five or so years, it became obvious it was difficult for me to live in the house on my own because it was a bit away from the nearest supermarket. I had to stop driving, eventually had to stop cycling, which was my leisure pursuit. Um, And my girl said, well, dad, we'll just have to sell the house. So I sold it in 2017. And that was really the end of my overseas holidays at the time. But I happened to go to a Christmas lunch at the church and I was sitting next to a guy who said he'd just come back from Kerala with a group of visually impaired people on a travel-eyes walking holiday. And he said I should try it, so I booked a a weekend in Bilbao just to see, see what it was like. And a bit like Heather, just signed up for the Camino walk, which oddly was something that I always fancied doing, not for any religious reasons, but it was just one of those kind of Everest challenges. So that's where we met exactly three years ago on the 28th of May. Um, 2018 in the romantic setting of the Premier Inn in Gatwick North is where <laughs> we first met.
0: <laughs> it's got to start somewhere. So I want to ask you about you know finding love later in life because a lot of people think that's not that's, that's done. They you know they're not interested in it or they just think it won't happen. Is is it something that you thought was a possibility or you just go with the flow with life and see what you know presents itself to you?
3: Well, I, since I. I retired on health grounds at the age of 49. So since then I've kind of gone with the flow. Um, And then with losing my sight, you don't have much choice but to go with the flow.
2: Alan lives in Glasgow, and I live in Swanage in Dorset, 470 miles apart. So when we did sort of start getting together, it was a, a rather lot of flights back and forth. So we would start off by doing a few weeks in each place, a few weeks on our own. As Alan's sight got worse, we spent more and more time together.
3: Really, we were thrown together, as it were, by the, by the COVID-19 pandemic. And we reckoned if we survived that 24 hours a day for almost a year, we could survive anything, I think.
2: Yes. So. This is despite the fact that his first words were... I do not want to live with anyone or get married again. So I said, well, that's fine, because neither do I. Because at the time, I wasn't intending and getting involved with anybody. So look what happened three years later. Three years later, you've both gone back on your words. What was it, Alan, that made you change your mind? Well, we just decided it was the right thing to do. You know, people really? change, times change.
3: It just seemed a sensible thing to do, really. Just move together, if you like
0: to get a base together where you can grow, get married and and start another chapter of your life. And Alan, I want to talk about you and the change in your life, because many people can forget to think about their changing support needs as they get older. But as a partially sighted person, do you think you've been more aware of this?
3: Yes, although it comes gradually. As I say, I started losing my sight in May 2013 was the first time I noticed it when my peripheral vision was just a bit dodgy. It probably took two to three years before it really had an impact. had to start relying on other people to do things. My daughters both live in Glasgow where I have six grandchildren as well. But yeah, it just, it does become limiting in the sense that you can't just jump in a car and drive somewhere. I cooked for myself, and I cooked quite well, I thought, for myself. I didn't have ready meals or anything like that. But that became more and more difficult.
0: But it seems, Alan, that you've still try to hold on to your independence for as long as possible, even when, you know, you first got diagnosed, you said that you still wanted to do things and you you, you want to do that for as, much, as long as possible, really.
3: Well, I think Heather will tell you, yes, I try and be a bit too independent sometimes. But um, up until recently, I've managed to be fairly independent. I could go out walking on my own if I had to go to the doctor or a bit of shopping. It's more difficult now. There's no question about that.
0: Well, Heather, how do you support each other with your different needs? How does it work?
2: I guide him everywhere. I am his eyes, so I will tell him there's a curb, there's a car coming, we've got to wait to cross and things like that. But about the home, talking about cooking, if he's going to cook something, I would get everything out and lay it out for him. I would put oil in the pan, uh, but he can do mostly the rest himself. I think the most important thing is I have to make sure I put things back where they came from rather than putting them somewhere else or leaving them out which is not always easy or I'll have to tell him if I've left a cupboard open or a you know a door open or something or something on the floor so he doesn't fall over it because he can't see it and I have to be more aware of that I think that's probably the main thing and we have to plan a bit more yes
0: so what is your plan for later in life if you do need more care or support do you plan to continue living as independently as you do now or do you have an idea of how things could be or you know you might be open to other options
2: well we've just moved to a a new flat and it is a brand new flat it's a second floor flat but there is a lift so we did make sure there was a lift we do stairs whenever possible but there is a lift Um, and because we're in Glasgow Alan's family are all round, so his daughter his elder daughter is very helpful she'll do shopping for us, come round, and one of the boys drives. One of her boys drives, and he'll come round and do things for us. And we have another grandson who's very good at doing things for us. We're, we're not trying. We're we're not planning particularly for if one of us has to have more care. We're just going to carry on and see how it goes. Really, rather hoping we can cope.
3: I can manage the flat at the moment, and I'm sure on my own, I can probably manage it, but um, I might need more support in terms of day-to-day living and cleaning and washing and so on and so forth. We've got some upmarket equipment in the kitchen, none of which blind person friendly. Um, it's all black. Some of it, has no bleepers that tell you when you press the button. Induction hob, I think I'm getting the hang of. I can put one hob on, but that, one ring on, but that's all so far.
0: Alan, what advice would you give somebody in your situation if they're looking to relocate?
3: I think just make the kind of decisions you would in normal. Of course, look at what your circumstances are and what you can do independently, what you need help with, where your facilities are, shopping and so on, where your leisure pursuits are. Um, so it's a question of, of making sure that all of these things that you're used to On a day-to-day or week-to-week basis are still conveniently to hand. You don't want to go out on a limb and then suddenly find that you can't go from your house to a leisure activity simply because you can't see. But yeah, I think just stay where you're comfortable, stay where you know what you're doing, where everything is, is familiar to you. That would be the best advice I would give anyone.
0: Now, what about financial planning? What were your thoughts and how did you go about it to make a comfortable life for yourselves together before moving forward?
2: Well, I don't have a brilliant pension, but I sold my house some years ago and bought a cheaper house, so I released some capital. And until a while ago, I was involved in a business where I got some income from it. I probably have more capital value. Than Alan does but he has a good pension so together we sort of
3: work quite well. <laughs> we
2: work very well together we discuss our money what we've got where it's going there's no secrets there's no problems
3: it works quite well to be honest you know what you just
0: seem so relaxed you're in that honeymoon period where you know what you want and you're happy and you're about to move into your new place so I wish you all the best thank you so much for talking to me and congratulations once again As always, I'm so inspired by our brilliant guests from Faye's wish to help dementia sufferers in the black community while securing a happy future to how Heather and Alan were united through their shared love of adventure and have formed a lifelong partnership from that supportive relationship. Huge congratulations to them on their wedding and new life together. Now, let's get some practical ideas and suggestions for how you can also plan ahead and make sure you're ready for what might be around the corner, both financially and mentally. Joining me is Legal and General Sam Roberts and Care Sources Andrew Parfrey. Sam, caring for your needs and the needs of others in later life is a huge part of reality for so many people in the UK. So why isn't it a bigger part of planning?
4: Yeah, that's a great question, Angelica. I think it's because it's such a complicated topic so if you think about, um, uh, you know, your one's future, two things are happening. One is our retirements are going to look completely different to our parents' retirements. The structure of our pensions, you know, moving from defined uh, benefit to defined contribution. The time at which our pension will kick in is getting later. We're all living longer, but we're not necessarily living healthier. In fact, the number of years of life lived in um, with poor quality of life is increasing alongside our length of life. Mm. And the number of chronic conditions that we have as we get older is becoming more and more of an issue. So I think um, picturing the future is sometimes quite tricky because all of these variables are changing. That's the one thing. And then the other thing is, is trying to understand what you Um, will need at the time that you need care is also pretty tricky because you think you need to um, design what you need based on what your function is at that time. So for example, you may need something as little as a fall monitor to, you know, figure out if you take a tumble or an alarm to call somebody if you need help, all the way through from, you know, or or you may need home modifications, somebody to, you know, a a wet room downstairs or a bathroom downstairs or more handrails, or you may need somebody to come in for a couple of hours, or you may even need to move into residential care. So what we've ended up finding when we spoke to our customers about this is that 1.3 million people every year in this country do investigate care, but it almost always happens at a time of crisis, either in phase situation where a relative is thinking about their parents and thinking about, I'm wondering what the future will hold. Maybe I need somebody to come in for a couple of days a week, or the individual thinking about it from them for themselves. And it's at that time of crisis that people need um, simple information, advice that they can get, and um, it all in one place.
0: Exactly. Well, Andrew, let's talk about Care Sourcer. Why did you want to start this?
5: Well, about five years ago, um, I was running my family's home care business. So that's a company that would employ care workers, train them, and then schedule them to go to perhaps your mother or your father's own house if they required care and support in the home. And that family business had been going for about 20 years. My dad was a social worker prior to starting it, and he'd cared for tens of thousands of people through that business's 20 years. But he became very unwell, and he was admitted to hospital. And unfortunately, he was given seven days left to live while in hospital. So this all happened very quickly. And the first thing we did, obviously, was speak to the social worker at the local authority and ask if they could put some home care in place for him to be able to go home and be cared for at home for the last seven days of his life. And they couldn't find a home care provider. They had no availability from anybody. So we were fortunate enough that we could um, taxi care workers that worked for us through from a different local authority authority area to where he lived. And so we could get him home. And that meant that my mum felt comfortable caring and supporting him, and he was able to come back to where he wanted to be. But it struck me at that point that for many people, they have no option and no choice. It's not easy to find care, especially in that sort of traumatic emergency situation. And really what it said to me is that he would have died in hospital, unfortunately, had we not been fortunate to have that business. So It was really at that point about how many other people are going through this negative experience, how can we help them and that really led us on to starting CareSourcer which is really there to help people understand what they need when it comes to support uh, and care, to help them find it importantly in a very short period of time and explain to them what their different options are because you don't have to necessarily go into a care home and then also to think about how to fund that because care can be extremely expensive and the earlier you start to think about that the more that you can do to plan for those costs.
0: So basically through personal experience and a real understanding it was almost meant to be that you would take this on. Can you explain what a care matching service
5: is? Yeah well I would describe it a bit like a hotel concierge. So our care concierge service is really there to help you understand what different care options there are if you need care and support And then to help you find those that have availability. So if you wanted to jump on a flight, you would go onto a website and you'd understand which planes had free seats on them that you might want to book to a certain destination. But there's nothing so transparent and clear when it comes to care and care services. So the first thing we would do is obviously understand that individuals' needs and requirements. And the first step might not actually be a care and support service. It might be something like an assistive bit of technology to alert somebody if you have a fall, or it could be some support to stay on top of the garden or to assist with bills and shopping. But when it comes to more acute care, there are generally three main commonly known forms of care. One would be in a residential setting, in a care home as an example. One would be in your own home. Actually, two-thirds of people are not in care homes. They're in their own home and a care worker would come to their home perhaps twice a day seven days a week as an example and the third option which is not very well known about is live-in care where somebody actually would come and live in your home and that might be for somebody who needs a bit more support than and someone coming in for an hour twice a day but uh, is not yet at the stage where they feel they need to be in a residential setting to receive that round-the-clock care.
0: Sam there's lots of talk in the news about the care funding crisis How do we pay for these long lives with declining health as well, as you talked about?
4: Yeah, thanks, Angelica. There's, I mean, possibly two ways that I would start to think about this. So the first is for each individual to to get some sense of how much they think that they would need. And a couple of things to think about on that. So the first one is to understand your local authority will only cover care costs in some cases. So don't rely on that as the kind of ultimate um, backup plan. The second is to think about where you live in the country, because the same care costs quite um, significant, care costs are quite significantly different in different parts of the country. So for example, A residential care home in Islington in North London is significantly more expensive than one in North Wales, for example. So that's the second thing: is try to understand your care costs in your um, the area where you are likely to receive care, and. one of the ways of going about that is going online and looking at care cost calculators. So we have one for legal and general and our, our retirement web pages, but there will be others and they allow you to add in things such as the type of care you need, where you live, and they will give some advice on whether you're eligible for local authority, how much you could expect to pay for the sort of care that you want. So that's the first thing, kind of understanding what the need is and, and how far that then you will know how far you're falling short currently. The second thing is assuming that you're not one of the um, folks who are covered by local authority um, care, whether it's home care or residential, um, there are a couple of ways you can think about affording it. So the first is, you know, savings, (laughs) traditional. The second is something called an immediate needs annuity, which is where you put a lump sum payment um, into an annuity and then that pays a care provider for your care until you no longer need that care. So it's typically, we see it typically used in um, people moving into residential care. And um, that, that care is paid at a fixed amount for as long as you need it. So that's an immediate need to know to the second option. The third option would be something like a lifetime mortgage or an equity release mortgage, where you convert some of the value that is in your house into cash, either a lump sum of cash or a small amount that is released. And we typically see people using that more for home adaptations, like if they need the railings, the downstairs bathroom, et cetera, we were talking about before, or sometimes for for, um, care in the home. So a couple of hours of help of of care in the home. So that's option three. And then option four is obviously downsizing or or moving house. So those are the ways we think about it. First of all, understand the need. Second, kind of sources of potential source of income, if you are a self-funder. And again, as as Andrew was saying, we work together with CareSource, so there's a free telephone line for you to talk to a care specialist just to talk through some of these options because sometimes people just need somebody who's done this many, many times before to kind of bounce ideas off.
0: Now, what I'd like to know next is what does the future hold? We all know AI is in use already. What else is out there?
4: Yeah, so I think maybe a, two different angles. So on care... I think we're seeing quite a lot of innovation the kind of work that Andrew and his team are doing on care sources, quite a bit of innovation on finding care, on monitoring care. And we're seeing lots, lots, lots more home care. So the NHS did a big push over the last 18 months with COVID, where we've seen lots more people seeing doctors through Zoom or Teams or whatever, lots more home monitoring for conditions, lots more people in clinical trials from the home. So I think those are the things, those trends are here to stay right, that, that a lot more of our care will be delivered online. For years, I've, I don't know, probably Andrew's the same, have been watching the, the world of robotics to see if there will be much to come on the care front. But I think the consensus is that's sort of a decade or so away. So that's on care, which has really helped with activities of daily living. Then on the health side, I think we are going through an unbelievably exciting revolution in the way we provide healthcare. care. So we're moving from a society that has treated illness to one that's trying to predict and prevent illness and then personalised treatment. And so this is where you'll see genetics coming into play, where you'll see um, artificial intelligence that can read images, where you'll see more home monitoring, as well as personalised therapies where one medicine is made for one person. I think um, lots of innovation and, you know, when you're going through a kind of renaissance like this, it's very hard to see where it will land. But my guess is that there'll be much more prediction, much more prevention, much more personalisation in the years to come. I really do hope that's
0: given some food for thought and perhaps prompted you to reflect on your own later life. If you are caring for a loved one, try and ensure you make provision for your own needs whatever they may be, both now as a carer and in your retirement years. We've mentioned loads of resources there. And if you want to do some further reading, you can check them out in the show notes for this episode at legalandgeneral.com forward slash retirement. I'm Angelica Bell, and I've loved meeting incredible people and sharing their stories across the series. I do hope you've been as inspired as I have to look to the future with excitement, feel empowered with great information and support to help you plan. And thanks to you for listening. If this has helped you in your future planning, please share the podcast with a friend and let's help everyone start a retirement revolution.